really need to tell better stories instead of complaining about it, right? What if we right. just start telling the stories and really flood the airwaves with something different? Hey, welcome back, friends. It is week five of a pandemic here in the United States. And this pandemic's uh, probably been in the States itself. Uh, well, right now we have recorded late January, uh, but that's just when we started testing. And then where I, where I am, um, we've really been in the lockdown phase for the last five weeks. So we can't meet on Sunday mornings. The first couple of weeks we were able to meet and do some live streaming to Facebook because uh, we were still in the 10 or less stage. So you could gather in groups of 10 or less. And then after two weeks, they went to the uh, complete stay-at-home order with the exception of some, what they are calling non-essential, or I mean, essential workers can go to work. Essential businesses can continue, but everything else is non-essential. Not my wording. But I want to talk a little bit about pastoring right now. Um, some of you who are, are listening are pastors. Some of you are in that process, um, moving towards ordination. And then and I think we have a handful of people who um, are not in the ministry in uh in an ordained sense, who are listening as well. And so I want to talk about a couple of different things. And the first has to do with grief. And there's been a lot that people have talked about uh, this idea of grief, that collectively, as not just as a nation, but as a you know global community as well, that we are all grieving. And just a lot of podcasts I listen to, um, and some other things that I that I read, blogs that I follow, that kind of stuff. And we're all talking about grief. And I was listening to one today, and I thought, oh, man, we're still talking about this. Yeah, we're still talking about this. Uh, because we're still here. We are still here in the midst of it. And it made me think of two years ago, 2018, and my father-in-law passed away in January, and then... We just were hit with one loss after another throughout the entire year of 2018. And it just felt like we were never going to be done grieving. Um, and even 2019 started off really rough with my husband ending up uh, in, in, having an overnight stay in the hospital. And he's fine now, but it just was a long, long season of grief. And I think for me personally, I was in a place where, oh yes, 2020, uh, we had started rolling out all of these plans. We had some, uh, just really been in prayer with God about some things he wanted to do in our personal lives, in our business, um, here at the church where I, where I pastor. And, uh, all, and so that, it was, so this stay at home order and the pandemic and all of that was as if you were hitting a brick wall at about 70 miles an hour. Uh, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this and feeling like this. Um, and so we're still talking about it because we are still here. We are in this space. And what does it look like? Um, it looks like anger. looks like fear. 
anxiety, sadness, depression. It also looks like busyness, control, obsessive cleaning or thinking, overeating, overdrinking, overgaming, excessive exercise, excessive scrolling on social media. There are other ways that some of us are looking to deal with this grief in healthy ways. So some of those are not necessarily bad. I think anything excessively obviously can be dangerous for you in some way or another, either physically, emotionally, mentally. Uh, But we're all looking to find ways to process grief. And some of the ways we would have, some of the healthy ways we would have used in the past um, would have been seeing a counselor, having coffee with a friend, all of those things that you can't do when you're when there's a stay-at-home order in effect. I have tried to find new ways to healthy ways. Um, for me, I've taken up running again. Uh, I had I had just started to get back into running uh, after a couple months off around the holidays, and then started back at it again. And then I, I was sick last week, so uh, I'm back to square one. I don't I don't know why. It, it seems like you lose uh, you lose muscle mass so quickly. It doesn't take long. Uh, you know, three days, four days in bed, and it sets you back quite a bit. But uh, we're in this, uh, someone used the word today, liminal space. So I was looking up the definition, which means, it can mean threshold, but it also means to occupy two places at once, which is really what we're doing. We're we're occupying the way things, like we have one foot in this territory called the way things were uh, before COVID-19. And then we're trying to set our foot down in this new space, but there's nowhere to put our foot yet. So we're in this liminal space and we need to, we need to think about kind of what's happening. So one of the reasons we're grieving is because we recognize that we have to say goodbye to some things. We just don't know what those are yet. We won't know until we kind of get to the other side of this, but there will be some things that we will have to say goodbye to. There, in other words, there will there will be loss, probably permanent loss. Uh, for some people, it will mean a loved one. Uh, it might be uh, a relationship. It might be you know physical loss in the sense of death. It may be loss in um, in a job or a business. And so th- there's there's going to be loss of some sort that. And we're going to have to say goodbye. So in in some ways, we're already beginning to grieve the loss. We just aren't able to put a label on it yet, which I think is what makes it frustrating. So when I was grieving my my father-in-law's death, I, I could put a label on it. I knew what I was grieving. I already had a a label for that loss, and that was his name. So maybe in some ways, this is similar to when a loved one goes into hospice and you're you're you know that it's coming and you've already started the process of grieving but there's no seemingly end in sight cuz you haven't even uh closed the casket they're still alive but 
you know that it is coming. And so maybe that would help some of us if we think about this season as a season of hospice. How, how does hospice do things? I mean, the purpose of hospice is to help ease the transition, right? So hospice is supposed to um, bring comfort to, to a certain level of extent and help them transition into the next place. Uh, and so we need to begin thinking about the situation like that. What can we do to begin the grief process to be as comfortable as possible? But but we don't want to be too comfortable, right? Because we are not dying. Um, we it's we are the loved we are the loved ones watching someone die, right? Um, but we can think of this this time as a season of hospice. We're also going to we will need at some point to say hello, or at some point we will need to embrace new things. Uh, I think that's part of my fatigue right now as a leader. And I know other pastors and other people in leadership positions have said the same thing, that they are busier now than they've ever been. I'm probably working, man, at least five times harder than I ever have. Um, a lot of it is because I'm saying hello and embracing embracing so many new things already. Um, and I'm just exhausted because I'm also grieving those things that I'm saying goodbye to. So we're, we're embracing new things. And I think what's also frustrating is, at least for me, I'm embracing some things that I don't even know if they're going to be permanent. Like there's a part of me that says, why do I have to learn this? If it's literally only going to be for four more weeks, right? Uh, it seems like inefficient, I guess. Uh, so I've had to reframe it. I think about a couple years ago when we went to the Philippines for a mission trip, our congregation sent a group of five to the Philippines to rebuild the church there. And there was a lot of new things that I had to learn that I realized I'll probably never use these again. But for that time and that season, I knew I was making an impact that would have lasting eternal consequences. And so I'm trying to reframe all of these things that I'm embracing and try to remind myself that even if it's just for this short time, that somehow they're going to have an eternal impact somehow somehow that uh, these are going to what's what I'm doing now even if I never use this information again is going to make a permanent mark on my life on somebody else's life on the community where I serve uh, so maybe reframe find ways to reframe that we're gonna have to forget some old ways of doing things which may be sad for us. I'm curious to see uh, after five, I know it's only been five weeks, but we know that it'll be, it's going to be a minimum of eight weeks before we're back together again. So two months, minimum of two months. Uh, would not surprise me if we are not back together until May 31st. Uh, which I'm really praying that it is since May 31st is Pentecost Sunday. I would really like to be with my congregation on that day since we couldn't celebrate Easter Sunday. If we could at least celebrate uh, Pentecost Sunday, that would be awesome. 
but I'm, I'm not going to hold my breath that we will be back together on May 1st or that first Sunday of May. And so, but, so when we get back together, so whether it's two months or three months before we're able to meet again, will the way we did things before still work? I don't think they're going to work. I think some of the changes that we've had to make are going to force us to change the way we do things in the future. I don't, I don't know that I will be able to preach the same way. I'm not sure about how the music will unfold. What will the pattern of, of gathering together on Sundays look like? I mean, I think this is going to force us to do things differently. In some, in, in some ways, I'm very excited about it. And obviously, in other ways, I'm very sad about it, disappointed. And I know it's been, oh man, depending on how old you are listening to this, 9-11 is probably the thing I can point to most of before and after. We can look at how our lives were before 9-11 and how they were afterwards. Uh, I remember because I'm in Michigan and uh, just outside of Detroit. And so Canada is less than an hour away if we drive. And you used to be able to just show your driver's license and maybe your birth certificate at the border to get over to Canada, go there for the day, uh, shopping, sightseeing, that kind of stuff, and then come back over and no big deal. After 9-11, it was completely different, completely different. We went last summer to Niagara Falls, took our adult children, and we all had to show our passports at the border in order to get in and answer a whole bunch of questions. And then coming back, uh, we had to show our passports again and answer a bunch of questions. Um, not, it was, it was not, it went fairly smooth. But when I compare it to what it was before 9/11, it was, it's completely different. And so, I think we're going to see the same things. We just have no idea what. Uh, we can speculate what they might be, um, but we really don't know. So we're all trusting that the possibilities will be great. And I was talking about this idea of this phrase, non-essential. I kind of started with that phrase, non-essential. Um, and I just, first of all, I'm just going to tell you I'm not liking this phrase at all. There's a difference between, I, th I think that, it would be better to say the difference between wants and needs and and even even in the category of wants and needs we have different differing opinions what some of us think we need is not really a need what some of what some of us think is a want is actually a need for someone else people who struggle with mental illness uh, meeting with a counselor and getting medication on a regular basis is a need. Uh, whether you want to agree it's a need or not, it is. People who have handicaps or other kind of things, those, those are needs. Um, my husband has um, an autoimmune disorder, and so we take quite a large amount of different kinds of vitamins and supplements in order to keep him off of prescription medication. And some might say, hey, those really aren't needs, but they are needs for us. And so I think there's a little bit of being careful 
with what a want and a need is. Uh, even a friend of mine who was saying how uh, she had to get a cable for the for her computer and nobody would help her because they all the workers said that's not that's a non-essential. We're not going to help you find that. Except that we are all being all of our children are being required to get online um, and do work. And those of us who are working from home and still still able to work from home so that we can pay our bills, uh, yeah, a computer cable is an essential, isn't it? Uh, so I think we just need to be careful about that. And I've just seen a lot of shaming going on online, including I think one of the things that has irritated me more than anything is the one the people who post the stayed home all day bet nobody can repost this or hardly anyone can repost this uh, you know how how is shaming other people because they couldn't stay home helping anyone it's definitely not helping them and it's definitely not helping you i was fortunate enough to get a another job uh, the first week of March before everything went on lockdown and I'm considered a an essential employee. And so I go into the office to work and just to do what I do. And it's allowing us to continue to make our mortgage payment right now. So I don't think being shamed that I went into work um, should be the case. My husband running to the grocery store to pick up a prescription for me because uh, I was homesick with a flu and sinus infection. Uh, he shouldn't be shamed for that. People who have, uh, who are on food stamps or WIC, they can only use uh, that money at the grocery store in person. They cannot purchase food online, and so they have to go into the store. I don't, I don't think shaming them. Uh, single moms who have nowhere to take their kids doesn't, and they can't, she can't leave them in the car with her, so she has to drag them into the store with her. She can't leave them at a friend's house like maybe she used to do because she would be breaking the stay-at-home order. And so she has to drag her two or three kids into the store with her to pick up her groceries using her food stamps or her WIC money. And I don't think she needs any more shame on her. So maybe we just need to be a little more careful. And I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir of those who are listening to me. And it's not either or. You know, not all wants are bad. I think that's what I keep seeing. I keep hearing, well, this that's a non-essential. Well, just because it's a non-essential doesn't make it bad or evil or wicked. And it's not an either or, it's a both and. And then the other one is that no one wants to be told they are non-essential. One of the biggest markers that is used, criteria is used to determine um, whether or not someone is seriously suicidal is if they no longer think they have a purpose in this world. If they no longer think that it matters that they are here. So telling people that they are non-essential workers or non-essential um, to the rhythms of society is not helping anyone. And we serve a God who believes that we are all essential, so essential, that he sent his son to die on the cross for all mankind that all sin would be forgiven, that all would know that we are loved by God. And I think as pastors, one of the things we need to be doing more than anything is we need to be correcting every time we hear someone referring to someone else as non-essential. We should be 
proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, that everyone, everyone has been created in the image and likeness of God. And therefore, because they have been created in the image and likeness of God, they are essential. Uh, and the last thing uh, I kind of want to talk about is the idea of possibilities and grief. We can grieve at the same time as thinking about possibilities. I keep referencing my father-in-law because it's the most significant or recent moment of grief that we've had. Um, I, I make chaplain visits, or I did before the shutdown, and to companies. Companies have uh, us come in as care partners. And I was visiting shortly after my father-in-law died, maybe about three months afterwards. I was visiting with some at one of my places, and one of the women there said, you know, you're always so happy. You always have a smile on your face. And she just, I just don't understand how you, you know, whatever. She, she, she was just making an observation about my happiness and my joy. And while I was talking to her at that moment, I was experiencing joy and happiness and pleasure. And at the same time, just before I had gone in and later on in that day, I experienced sadness and grief, um, thinking about some of the losses in my life. And I wasn't being a hypocrite because I truly was experiencing joy and uh, pleasure in her company and in talking with her. And so it is possible to hold more than one feeling or emotion, even almost simultaneously. So we can be experiencing grief alongside hope. And we can be experiencing hope right alongside of grief. At least I'm trying to remind myself that. I'm trying to remind myself that I can grieve and I can look for the possibilities. Yesterday was Easter Sunday, and I'm just going to tell you it was disappointing. And there were some good things that happened, and I'm trying, I keep trying to fix my eyes on those things, but I am also not in denial that there were some things that were disappointing. We had planned on um, doing the Zoom, like the Zoom thing, webinar, and then also being able to live stream on Facebook at the same time. Because we have several members in our congregation who just have not been able to figure out Zoom, but they can jump on Facebook and do the live stream thing. And so, We've last couple of weeks, we've have several members who just have not been able to participate. And then on top of it, many of those people are single. And so they're at home alone, and now they can't even connect with their virtually with their faith community. And so this was supposed to kind of help offset that. And so we would have this option for them. And because of technology, and probably because a gazillion other people were live streaming on Facebook at the same time. Maybe, I don't know, maybe we should have done 9 a.m. or 1 p.m., but uh, we could not connect. So there were several, several people who were just part of our faith community already that were not able to connect with us on Easter Sunday. And and then we had hoped to be able also to reach some other people in our community uh, who don't normally come on Sundays with that. And because, of, because it failed, I, I, it was very disappointing. Yeah, and I I have I have to give myself permission. I need to give myself permission to grieve that disappointment 
while also looking to the possibilities. So I say, okay, there will be another Sunday to try again. Or I don't know, maybe by the grace of God, by this Sunday, we'll, be all, we'll all be together, but it doesn't look like that's the case. And so I had to start looking for possibilities. We did a Zoom with our, we did a Zoom family meeting, whatever, with our extended family. My husband's brother, um, his wife last night. And my niece said to our son, hey, you should do, maybe you should read for Audible. You could make money that way because he does have, uh, he does have a great uh, voice and would be a great uh, reading presence. I would, I would, I would get those books. So he started looking at the possibilities today of what he could do with that. But it made me think if, you know, maybe one of the things that we could do, myself included, um, is start making a list of all of the possibilities that could come out of this. Holding them loosely, of course, because we don't know what possibilities will really come to the surface. But all of the possibilities that could maybe come out of this. Maybe a renewed sense of faith, renewed sense of community, maybe uh, a, a new commitment to your immediate family, maybe some things that you needed to give up all along that you didn't realize you were just going through the motions and doing them anyway. Another podcast I listened to said that job that you absolutely positively despise, but you keep doing it because there are worse jobs I could have or uh, anybody would kill to have this job or whatever, you know, uh, this is the time for you to start working on your resume and thinking about how you might, a different direction you might go. It made me think of when we came through the recession uh, about 10 years ago. My husband was one of those who took a hit on his job. And so he started his own business. We don't know if that business will survive this pandemic. It's actually one of the things that I'm not really too stressed out about. I, I'm Part of me feels like maybe it's time for a transition for his business anyway. But I don't know. Our business came up, sprung up. It was a possibility uh, that sprung up out of the ashes of the recession. And so maybe there's something else in my life, in your life, that's going to spring up out of the ashes of all of this. Something you had never, ever considered. Maybe some of us, some of our churches will not, I, I know that some of our churches will not survive this. Some of us have already lost so much income and in giving that we won't be able to keep our doors open. We won't be able to keep paying the mortgage. We may lose some people either to death or they may be forced to move to another state uh, for work. And, and we might find ourselves in a place where realistically it doesn't make sense to keep the doors open and we need to close it. And it's hard when we are in that place to think that there are possibilities, good, good possibilities that could come out of it. But I am forcing myself to look back for 20 whatever seven years that I've been walking with God in all of the times when I thought there was no hope nothing could spring forth out of this and God made a way in a desert he made streams in a desert 
He provided in ways I never would have or ever could have asked or imagined. He brought people across my path that I never should have met. He brought uh, ideas and innovations to the forefront of my mind that I know could not have been my own, but were of divine inspiration. And so as I'm grieving the things that I'm going to have to say goodbye to that I can't even name yet, uh, as I'm reaching out, trying to embrace something and I can't even see what it is, I, I'm going to hold loosely and look towards the possibilities. God bringing great things out of dust. Great things out of dust. And so I leave you with the words of St. Peter. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer for the reason, for the hope that you have doing this in gentleness and respect. Mm -hmm.